Hi, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of the IAC podcast. My name is Ohad Meislish, and I'm going to be your host for today. And today we have an amazing, amazing guest, Charity Major, CTO of Honeycomb. Hi, Charity. Hi, thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Uh, can you share a few words about your background, about your role, about your uh, hobbies, uh, things like that? <laughs> Sure. Um, uh, I am the CTO and co-founder of Honeycomb.io, which was kind of the first and original observability company. Um, I, I identify as an operations engineer. Like before, before this, I kind of have a career of being the first infrastructure person to join a startup of software engineers when they're just starting to think that they have real traction or a real product. And it's time to like clean up all the bash scripts and, and like make things real. Um, I have just started adopting rescue cats, which is why I have two little oh. scamps right behind me that are making a little bit of noise. I to, Hopefully, no I, I have two cats as well, by the way. Nice. I feel it's yeah. it's crazy. It's like I'm like, how am I at this point in my life when I'm just discovering that cats are cute? <laughs> but they're so cute. That's too late. <laughs> they're so fun to play with. It's great. <laughs> that's too late. I I grew up with cats, so uh, yeah, I I knew all about ah. cats already. Yeah, All right. no, I grew up in a farm where we ate our pets mostly. So. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> I hope you wouldn't uh, do the same with uh, your new never. cats. Uh, just never, joking. Never. Just joking. <laughs> All right, cool. So let's let's talk about observability. And if I may say, about fifteen years ago, I also uh, had the pleasure on building uh, APM. It uh, started with uh, agentless and uh, network sniffing, and then it also added some agent capabilities, tracing, uh, metrics, and uh, so all of that got acquired by VMware. What do you think about APM and observability market before we talk about uh, you know, more things so about, about the infra? It's, inter it's interesting you, you say that. You know, I feel like that was probably in the very early days of APM as a, as, as a thing. Like, I remember when yep. New Relic was you know doing that's when i first started seeing apm stuff i think it was like 2000 2012 or something like that um you know observability uh is is a much more recent thing and, and it's interesting that we're talking about this now because i'm actually in the middle of trying to write an article to kind of try and synthesize where we're at and what's changed you know when when we when honeycomb was started we started talking about observability and and we tried to give it this very specific technical definition that monitoring is about known unknowns uh, and observability is about unknown unknowns, kind of borrowing from the control theory stuff about how observability is about how well can you understand what's happening inside the system just by observing its outputs. And, you know, if, if you accept that definition, then, you know, metrics, you know, you famously, you have to kind of predict what you're going to need to ask. You create a dashboard, it's fixed. Um, and observability was kind of supposed to be something that is exploratory, open-ended, really relies on things like high cardinality, high dimensionality, the ability to slice and dice on arbitrary dimensions in real time. And, you know, I think that that definition, the reason it really took off was because people really resonated with the problems that we were describing and, and, and the solutions that we were describing. But in the last two or three years, now it's like, it's been, let's call it diluted. Like everybody is now like, well, we do observability and this is observability and that's observability and data observability, blah, 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 blah. Which is honestly, 
it, it's it's good in a way because people are talking about these problems, but it's bad in a way that like if we don't have the words to talk about the problems that we're solving, we're really going to struggle to solve them. And in this right now, I keep talking to so many, you know, CTOs and VPs and principal engineers. And when I talk about observability, they think that they have what I'm talking about, but actually all they have is metrics and logs. And that's that's a very different, I mean, if we want to call that observability, then let's call that like 1.0. But there's a huge step change in, in usability and powerfulness between the generation of tools that are built on, you know, technology that's 20, 30 years old at this point versus the stuff that is very new, um, which is, you know, one of the big things that people are really upset about right now is the cost crisis, right? There's like a cost crisis in observability. Everybody's looking at their bills and gagging, like, holy shit, this costs so much. And, but I actually think that it's not actually the sticker shock that they're so upset about. I think it's the fact that they're correctly intuiting that as their bills go up, the value goes down. Um, mm -hmm. Because with observability 1.0, you have to pay to store your data as metrics, pay to store your data as logs, pay to store your data for APM, pay to store, you're paying to store your data again and again and again and again and again, but nothing actually connects these data sources except the poor hapless engineer sitting in the middle trying to like <laughs> correlate with their yep. eyeballs and hope that this timestamp is the same as that timestamp, but there's not the same data. It's getting really, really fucking expensive and the experience degrades. It gets worse and worse and worse. And observability, the way I define it, is not like that. You have a single source of truth. You have these arbitrarily wide structured data blobs from which you can derive metrics, you can derive traces, you can derive logs, you can derive your APM, but like everything connects to these events. And so you've got an engineer who's sitting here and it's just like, okay, here's our SLOs. All right, the SLO is violated. Click, I see exactly what's violating the SLO. I can see exactly what is different about the events that are violating the SLO. Click, I can trace one of them. Click, I can zoom back. You know, it's seamless. You're going back and forth. You pay to store the data once, but it's complex data. It's rich data. You're storing raw data. So instead of doing this right time aggregation where you're locked into the original questions that you decided to ask, you're aggregating only at read time. So you could ask any question. Awesome. Yeah. So you've mentioned those poor engineers that, you know, who struggle to understand what's, what's going on. Now, uh, from what uh, I've been seeing in the last few years, those engineers are now also facing a you know, new evolution when it comes to their cloud infrastructure. If we talk about a few years ago, your AWS architecture would probably be mostly EC2 instances running uh, your applications more in a monolithic kind of way. Uh, I'm sure you have seen uh, this uh, cloud native uh, yeah. You know, migration and uh, moving uh, towards yeah. more modern kind of infrastructure. What what have you seen, and what how do you think this affects the uh, principal uh, engineers that, who need to oh. control their production environment? Yeah, the explosion of complexity in architecture is what is driving people kind of to the break of what these old, you know, metrics-based, logging-based technologies can can possibly do. You know, and it's it's interesting because it was the same sort of like hard 
cut off it's like a cliff that you go over where you're like holy shit like my tools no longer work for me or <laughs> you know and it's terrifying which is the experience that christine and i had had at, at at parse you know at facebook many years ago which led us to like be like i don't know how to go back to the old generation of tooling because you know it's become so core to how how you understand your system, how you do your work. Like it's not, you know, I think that one of the key differences between observability like V1 versus V2 is that, you know, the last generation of observability tools, it's like they're they're a checkbox, right? As you're as you're pushing your services to prod, it's a checkbox. You're like, okay, I, I'm monitoring this. This is quote unquote observable. I've added some instrumentation. Um, and, it, and it's kind of a relic of the good old days when, you know, developers developed and operators operated and, you know, you're just like lobbing it over the wall versus observability 2.0 is very much it, it underpins and, and permeates every step of the software development life cycle. You know, it's how you have these fast feedback loops. It's how you, it's how you keep a cap on the amount of cognitive state that you have to have in your head at any given time is by making sure that it it's there in the tool. So so you're you're instrumenting as you're writing your code, you ship it and you look at it and you're like is it doing what I expected it to do in production? Does anything else look weird? Uh, if no, then you adjust, right? And, and these feedback loops get shorter and shorter and the amount of state that you have to hold in your head gets smaller and smaller and everything accelerates, right? But if you don't have tools that are capable of this, <laughs> then it's it's really an uphill slog. So it's like in order to get to like this great vision of observability 2.0, where you have these fast feedback loops and everything, you need two things. You need to have the mindset that this is not just how you operate your code. It's also how you develop your code. And you need to have tools that allow you to do that. And I feel like one of the big hurdles of the metrics and logging era is that it's kind of like you have to translate the language of software and endpoints and variables and functions into the language of low-level systems. Like, okay, I'm shipping this code, CPU spiked. Three of the CPU spiked. What does that mean? Uh, one of the types of memory spiked and two others did. It's like, what the fuck does that even mean, right? Like, yep, yep. And, and I feel like observability 2.0 tooling is in the language of, okay, I shipped this thing. Oh, okay, this function is slow. Oh, okay, this endpoint is erroring. Oh, okay, this user is having this experience. And being able to just like swiftly, like immediately pinpoint the consequences of, of what you've done. Yeah, the, definitely. I, I, I saw in one of your uh, quotes in the website of Honeycomb that uh, an engineer is uh, saying, I've used Honeycomb and then I realized my app is doing what? Like, what, what's yeah. what's going on here? I, di I didn't know about, uh, about those things. Uh, and I remember, you know, back, yeah. It's a very common uh, response. It's just like, oh my God, my app was doing what? Which to me is like, Okay, we're in this new generation where we're asking developers to own their code in production. And I am broadly very much in favor of this because I think it's the only way that we're going to build systems that are well understood and well and 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 everything. But I also feel like if you push them into owning their code without the tools to own their code or understand their code, you're not you're just sharing, you're just increasing the amount of total pain in the world. You know, if we right now our systems are so hard to 
maintain and own because we keep pushing software we don't really understand out into systems that we've never really understood. And every change we make, it just gets worse and worse. It's like a hairball that my cat coughed up, you know? And it's like yep. the only way to start like untangling all of that debt is to make sure that you can yeah. actually understand what you're doing. Yeah, let me let me zoom in on uh, on a specific uh, topic. So let's uh, we we all know that up until let's say five years ago, if uh, you needed a new resource in the cloud, let's say an EC2 instance, or in the last few years an EKS cluster or RDS or S3, you you somebody clicked a button probably in order to provision that in the AWS GUI. Whereas today, more most chances is that there is an engineer writing or updating Terraform or Pulumi or Crossplane or CloudFormation code. Uh, yeah. First of all, sounds like you tend to agree to, to that uh, movement. Oh, and yeah, all, absolutely. Or, it's the only way we can scale. And Exactly. And how does that affect, from your point of view, the observability challenges of organizations that now they no longer just have cloud resources, they also have code in their GitHub or Bitbucket or GitLab that represent those cloud resources. It starts with a pull request before it's actually being deployed. You can have some insights within the pull request. Yeah. How is that? Do you think that's helping with shifting left observability and yeah, infrastructure observability absolutely. or not necessarily? What, what do you think? Yeah, I think that, you know, this is this is all the shifting left. It's it's all a good it's all great. It's 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 necessary. It's needed. You know, it's challenging work, but it needs to be done. What the main thing that I think that this affects from the perspective of observability in addition to the fact that just like everything's a high cardinality dimension now. Like every it used to be you had a lamp stack, you had the app, the database. Now you've got god knows how many things, right? And they're all running code. So you know, I think that like it's important to this is one of the reasons you need observabilities because of the high cardinality stuff. But the other reason is that I think that we need to like I think that especially for those of us like me who come from the ops side of the house, we're kind of used to thinking of this as an as our telemetry is like an infrastructure problem. Like we need to monitor resources, we need to like make sure that disks aren't filling up. We are, you know, all this stuff. And I feel like that may or may not be all of my ops people now work for Amazon. Like we don't run our own stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, I think that the perspective that we should be looking at our this telemetry decisions through is not infrastructure up, but application out, which was kind of an, an a, a, you know, what the APM movement was originally about. Um, but but like, I think what's important about this, I think the APM movement was still, you know, using these metrics, which aggregate, aggregate service side and all this stuff. The, the key inside of the observability movement is that it doesn't matter whether or not your resources are healthy. What matters is the experience of every single user. You may or may not have any control at all over the stuff that's running your code. If you're running AWS Lambda jobs, why do you care if they're running out of memory? Like you shouldn't have to care. Like there's a there's an abstraction layer there, right? What you do need to care about desperately is every single user who's running your code and their experience. And so I feel like instrumenting your code so that you can you know, group and break down by things like app ID, shopping cart ID, you know, all, all of these things, the resources are not the important part. Like we're, we're all, all kind of stuck in this awkward middle stage where we still got some infrastructure and we still got a lot of code, but like the, the lion's share of, of the instrumentation, the telemetry that you need to care about is 
your crown jewels, like the code that you write that makes you your comp- makes you you, right? And like thinking about how how is future me going to understand this code when it's chaotic and it's you know it running running you know there's all of this like uh, multi tenancy you know in production. How how is future me going to understand this at two a.m. And that's the lens to be thinking about this through. And less less I'm not going to say there's no monitoring necessary of infrastructure because it depends on the place. Uh, but more and more of the center of gravity needs to be the code that you know your core differentiators as a business. Definitely. Do you think, you know, I, I remember a few years ago when I read that all of the future of compute will be in Kubernetes and everything <laughs> else uh, will be in things like uh, serverless. I think this is a, like an topic kind of way to, to look at those things. But where do you think cloud infrastructure and architecture is heading in the next five or 10 years? Um, you know, the triumph of Kubernetes over all other contenders has been fascinating. Um, uh, I, I have a lot of thoughts about that that probably don't fit into this format. Um, what I think the future of cloud infrastructure, though, it is not one of convergence. It is it is one of uh, multiplication. I think it's one of, uh, you know, the complexity is here to stay and it's only going to get worse. Um, and so the way that, you know, there are two kinds of tools, right? There are tools that try to hide complexity from you. And there are tools that try to help you navigate that complexity, help simplify it, help you give you the tools to dive deep when you need to and, and not dive deep when you, when you don't. And this is where observability has a huge, huge role to play, I think, because it's not going away. And, and, and honestly, this is for, this is, this is all to the benefit of us and our users. Like the the number of choices that we can make now, the crazy products that we can build based on primitives that we couldn't have dreamed of, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it's insane. This is great. Um, But, you know, it it is going to be up to us as the engineers who kind of, you know, I I think, you know, platform engineering is kind of the the new hotness where, but the platform engineers are the ones who sit between the the madness of all the infrastructure out there and hopefully make sane decisions and defaults for the madness of all the software engineers on the other side. So I think it's a really exciting and fun place to be. I I will put in a plug here for what I think of as vendor engineering. Uh, I think a lot of a lot of times our, our job ladders and our promotions are really designed to like make to, to make it seem like the most glor, glor, glorifying thing that you can do in software is building big, hairy, gnarly, complicated products. I think you should do that as little as possible. I really cherish and triumph the engineers who make things simpler, who reduce scope, who who really, you know, make things make there be less surface area for us to own, which is why I think that one of the strongest positions, some of the most senior engineers that I've ever seen have been vendor engineers, the ones who can sit between the organization and vendors who have spent tens of millions of engineering dollars on this product that you get to use, but it doesn't exactly work out of the box. So somebody has to figure out how to build a library, how to make interfaces that are standard, that are customized, that are idiomatic for local users. Uh, and like that's just I think it's such a powerful and exciting place to sit and we don't really we don't make it sound as exciting and as and as fun as it really is so I, I just want to put a plug in there for vendor engineering I think it's an amazing use of truly senior technical talent thank you so much this is super 
interesting and I fully agree with everything you said. Uh, Charity, we, our time is up. It was a, an amazing pleasure having you today on the IAC podcast. So thank you for our audience to for all of our listeners listening today. Please follow up uh, on the IAC podcast, the website icpodcast.com and on Twitter. Thank you so much. Anything else you would like to say, Charity? Uh, you know, if you want to try out Honeycomb and Observability 2.0, it's honeycomb.io. You can get a demo. My blog is at charity.wtf. Um, yeah, thanks. But thanks so much for having me. It was really fun to be here. Thank you. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.